Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. So good to uh, to be together and to have the opportunity to to worship and to lift one another up in prayer. That's that's wonderful, and that's something that sometimes we may take for granted. But um, what power there is in prayer! And uh, well, about what time is is your surgery tomorrow? Okay. Okay, okay. Um, so if you if you could during about that time, if you would just take an opportunity and lift her and the doctors up in prayer, that would be that would be really really appreciated. I know. Amen. Amen. All right. If you take your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter two, and I I just want you to know that I'm going to try my very best to kind of get through this message this morning because. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little, no, I'm not a little sad. I'm a lot sad because this morning I got up and uh, do what I do in the morning and, and I was beginning to think to myself, self, and I know it's me because I know my voice. And I said, self, I just wonder what time the race is going to come on this afternoon. And then it hit me. And then the sadness overtook me. There is none. It's over. So now I'm left to watching football. I mean, I'll muddle through. You can pray for me. But, but uh, I am so glad for this time of year as, as the seasons begin to change. And just a wonderful reminder of just how much we do have to be thankful for. And as we continue in this series on gratitude, uh, just just as a way of refresher and reminder, in the first week we talked about the reality that if you truly want to live a life of significance, if you truly want to make an impact in your world, then your life has to embody the aspect of gratitude. It has to be, as Christians especially, because we have so much to be grateful for. And and I'm so thankful for the music of the church. I wish I could sing. Um, I really do. I've attempted it in the midst of a message before. And, you know, people started praying for me. And, 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 uh, but I, I just, for those who are gifted with, like Mr. David and Mr. David, those who are gifted with the ability to sing, I mean, that just fascinates me. Uh, and, and, 
what fascinates me even more, and it's the way that I'm wired, is, is the music and the melody, but the words that really kind of just jump out at me. And there's so much in the words that, that we sing uh, each and every week, and so much that we have to be grateful for, especially as Christians, especially as Christ followers. And so we looked at the idea that to live a truly significant life, it has to embody gratitude. And last week we looked at the nemesis of gratitude, and that is the grumble, complaining. And the truth is we all do it at one point or time or another. But the reality is we must make an intentional decision not to live there. Because it's easy. And, and I don't know if you're like me. Once I start grumbling, it's like a roller coaster going downhill. I can, I can start on one subject, and by the time I'm done, I've covered them all. And we have to be careful, especially as Christ followers, because, as was mentioned, we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. We're supposed to be uh, uh, a wonderful fragrance to others around us, to draw them in. And when, if they see us just grumbling and sour mouth and all of the time, the reality is if someone outside the church looks at that and sees that on a regular, frequent basis, they will think to themselves, why would I want to be a part of that? Why would I be a part of that? The reality is we all grumble. We all complain. We all have those things that irritate us. But the, the, the lesson in that is to not remain there, not remain there, and to focus on the things that we have to be grateful for. This morning as I uh, continue in this, I'm going to talk about something that is so important in the church especially. And I want to begin by asking uh, you this question. And generally speaking, as you look out into our world, not just the church, but into our world as a whole, well, let me condense that a little bit. As you look out into our nation as a whole, would you say, generally speaking, that we are united or divided? Divided by by a long shot. Um, and if you don't believe that, who'd you vote for Tuesday? <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of division comes over the aspect of election. But the reality is there is so much in our world that has the possibility to divide us. Big things, little things. But the reality is gratitude can unite us. Each of us is different. We are different. God made us special, as Bob the Tomato says. And there's only one you. Amen. That there's only one me. The world couldn't handle two. The reality is, we have so much to be grateful for. Yes, we are different. We look different. We talk different. We act different. We have different interests. And left to our own devices, those things can, uh, if left unchecked, could divide us. But gratitude, gratitude can and should unite us. Not just speaking 
as a, as a whole, in general terms, but also in the church. I've been in the church of Jesus Christ for long enough to see division. I've seen the ugliness of division and hatred and fighting and carrying on inside the church. And it is sad, it is tragic, and more often than not, it is unnecessary. And, and when I've been in those situations, you dig down to the deep, to the root cause, it was most of the time it was over something very, very minor, very, very simplistic. The reality is the polarized state of our nation is not shocking to us. We feel the division. We hear it. We see it. We read it. And yet most of us think, not me, not me, um, until we take a closer look and ask ourselves this question. It's a question that I've asked the church over and over and over and over again. How many folks in your circle of friends, how many of those are unbelievers? How many of those think differently than you? And things kind of get awkward right there. Because the reality is that we like people who are like us. We like people like us. We like people who think like us and talk like us. We, we like to be around people who are like us. And for many of us, our ideological differences and even our view of politics, and I'm not going to wade into that pool of politics, they, they place stress on relationships. And those relationships are what matter the most. And even in the church, even inside the community of faith. There have been small, I don't want to say insignificant, but minor issues between folks who have primarily it's because one person sees something one way and another person sees something a different way and they can't come to a common ground for whatever reason. When, when, we, when we focus on what divides us, it places stress in the church on the relationship that matters the most. You see, and I heard it this morning, and I quoted that, that wonderful, we used to sing that about all the time in, in one of the churches, and I forget the exact, uh, maybe it was when someone was baptized or they became a member of the church, we sang that song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel and I forgot the rest. Aren't you glad I didn't sing it? <laughs> the truth is, as Jesus' followers, we have been adopted into the family. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But many times, and I've seen it, and, and if you're in the church long enough, you will too, division uh, that will come whether intentionally or unintentionally. And you know what I've run into folks uh, who, who've sat on different sides of a particular issue and, and things got heated and my way and this is how I think. I've never come into contact, and I've been in the church almost over 30 years now. 
I have never come into contact with an individual who walked into church and thought to themselves and made the confession, yep, I'm going to see how big of a mess I can make. Now, they may be out there, but I've never met them. More often than not, these things come about unintentionally. It's because we're human. It's because uh, we are in the process and the walk of holiness. We're not perfect. We still falter. We still fail. Sometimes uh, we're, like, we're like a preacher that I knew one time. I'm not going to tell you his name. He may be watching. No, he's not watching. Um, this particular preacher, uh, they laid out the order of service each and every week. And that was what they did. It was this is this, 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 this. It was monotonous. It was, it was, there was no room for the movement of the Spirit. And I was like, wow, I don't ever want to be that way. And thankfully, I'm not. Um, I am as flexible as a rubber band. You know, someone, there have been many times, and I'll move on, there have been many times when I haven't had the opportunity to get up to preach because people were testifying, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But most of the time, these things come about unintentionally. Uh, we, we like to be around people who are like us, and when we get around folks who are unlike us, we can get a little nervous. It can get a little awkward. And if we're not careful, especially inside the church, uh, there can come that, that horrible enemy of division. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I want to read uh, verses 42 down to the end of the chapter there. Acts chapter 2. And if you would, please stand for the reading of the word this morning. This uh, subsection in my Bible is subtitled, The Fellowship of Believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this picture of the early church and this picture of unity. And I pray, Father, that that example uh, that was written on the pages of old would be a reality for the church of Jesus Christ in 2022. Help us to be your disciples, to be uh, following and crying after you in these days. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Division, whether you're talking about politics or, 
or even sports. Now, uh, you're, you all are a little bit closer to Cleveland, so it's probably not as, uh, as, as divided, but uh, we were in uh, Calcutta, pastored there, and some other places, uh, Lisbon, and uh, we've been in situations where there was a large group, uh, when I say large, five or six people, because that can get large if they get rowdy, um, that were diehard, devoted Pittsburgh Steeler fans, you know, black and gold to the death. And then we had some other folks who, who like puppies, who like dogs. <laughs> they were diehard orange and, and whatever other colors. I don't know football that well. Um, colors, you know, they were diehard Cleveland Brown fans. And, and um, it, was, it was always generally pleasant until those two times during the year, during the football season, when these teams would play each other. I'm not talking to you, Dave. Brother, I hope you lose. You know. <laughs> you know, during the prayer time, I'm praying we sack your quarterback 12 times and break his leg or something like that. They never said that. Um, but the reality, it's nothing new. Differences in opinion and beliefs are not uncommon and are somewhat expected. Um, the ability to reason... And to expand upon our reasoning is by its very nature what sets us apart from the other animals that we see. When we do not view our differences with high stakes, the various thoughts, beliefs, and passions add flavor to this life, intrigue, and dynamic conversation. However, when we make a decision to have friends with the same socioeconomic or moral beliefs or who think like us, talk like us, we wade into a difficult and I would contend a dangerous uh, avenue and a dangerous portion of like, life. And I would, I would ask us to consider this very thought this morning. Do I choose intentionally to be around people who are like me, spiritually speaking. Do I choose to have only friends who are believers? You see, the early church, as, as we see here in a portion of Acts chapter 2, and I would encourage you to uh, sometime during this week to read that entire chapter if you want a wonderful picture of the early church. The early church was a, was a shabby bunch. <laughs> they came from all walks of life, and consisted of a very vast array of stripes. Jesus' circle, his, the 12 of the inner, mostly the societal outcasts, the uneducated, the poorest of the poor, the sick and despised, and they continued to follow him after his resurrection. However, much to their dismay, their following did not lead to a birthing of a new political a movement did not lead to a new political movement and revelation. Instead, something much more valuable took place and arose, a faith community. And we know that as the early church. Zealous, 
who was a second century Greek philosopher, and quite honestly, he was an early opponent to early Christianity, said Christians were, and I quote, an ignorant folk. They were an ignorant folk. Although spoken unkindly, he wasn't entirely wrong. Most Christians were the opposite of the societal elite and educated. Paul, who was highly educated and from a higher social class, said that Christians in Corinth were ignorant, powerless, and of obscure birth. For the first 300 years, the Christian majority was a mixed bag of mostly belonged to society's lower echelons. Scholars were the exception, creating a vast chasm between the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, believers of various ethnic backgrounds, Jewish, Gentile, Greek, Asian, all added to this mixture. The early church found itself striving to unify itself among a vast array of differences. To add to this, the early church suffered under intense persecution. Early Christians were the religious minority of their day, and they were despised by the unbelieving political and religious majority. I know that that's hard to believe that Christians would be made fun of or despised, uh, but think about that for a moment. They were laughed at, mocked, spit on, falsely accused of crimes, and, and forced to submit to a totalitarian government. Life was hard for the early church. If given permission, the heavy stressors of the day would consume the most robust believer and rob him or her of every ounce of joy. However, however, in spite of all of that, the early church was not a joyless bunch. Far from it. Unifying the body of Christ was a top priority of its leaders as they sought desperately a faith practice that would surpass the congregational differences. And in that, they found that the greatest in that time, and, and it is great in our time as well, the great unifier was the Eucharist, or as we would know it, the communion table. Communion. Communion was a great unifier. The taking of communion, simple bread and juice in our day, grounded in gratitude was the great unifier of the church. In the early church, the Sabbath, just like our Sunday, was the first day of the week. The, the services were not purposed to call the faithful to repentance or make them aware of their sin's magnitude. The sole purpose for gathering was to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead through this wonderful, we call it a ritual and a sacrament of communion. It was a service of remembrance. And if you listen uh, and are familiar with the ritual that is spoken over the Church of the Nazarene's communion uh, ritual, 
and sacraments, there is that aspect that it is a token of remembrance of Jesus' death and also looking forward to the reality that one day heaven is going to split open and he's coming back. That should be enough. It should be enough for you and I as Christ's disciples, as his followers, to lay aside everything that we have different from one another, our opinions, whatever we might think about situations, that should be enough that we could, as I say it, agree to disagree on some things, but we realize that the truth of the matter remains. We have so much more in common than we have in the way of differences. And then we look to that and when we take communion, when we hold the bread and we hold the cup and we are reminded of Jesus' sacrifice on that cruel Roman cross as his blood streamed down that cruel Roman beam, we have much more in common. And that should be a unifying element for you and for me in 2022. And for that, we should and ought and are grateful, grateful. Every time that I take communion, I cannot help but be thankful that God loved this poor, pathetic wretch, as that wonderful song says, that God saved a wretch like me. Now, I don't know about you, but I have embodied that term. I am a wretch before Jesus. And I am grateful that one day when, whenever God decides that my time here is done, uh, personally, I'm praying that Jesus comes back before that. Um, but you know, what I have the faith and the assurance that when I take my last breath here, I'm going to be taking my first breath of heavenly air, and I'm going to hear, well done, welcome home. And I cannot help but be thankful for that because as I said before, what I deserve, what I deserve and what you deserve is to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what we deserve. But thankful for that amazing grace. Every Sabbath in the early church was a communion service. Communion was the DNA of the early church worship. Instead of early believers saying on the Sabbath morning, how many of you said this this morning? We're going to church today. Going to church today. Going to go down to the church today. Instead, they would say, we're going to communion today. We're going to communion today. Until the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century Christian worship was centered around communion, its highest worship act. The gatherings were happy occasions, eating together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people in mind. Every Sunday was an Easter celebration. It's the way it should be in the church today, which began with uh, the communion of giving with communion and by giving thanks. Before taking communion, believers would offer gratitude to God, recounting at length his acts and testifying to the power of the Holy Spirit. Following the communion meal, believers shared in the second round of gratitude prayers 
after these prayers, they would move into a time of caring for one another's physical needs by taking up an offering and sharing their resources. Amongst all of their differences and stresses, what unified the early church in practice and spirit and mind was simple. Gratitude. Gratitude. There is no tension like the tension between pews. As human beings living in the body of Christ, we are well aware of the pain and trouble we can intentionally or unintentionally cause uh, at times. Different passions and convictions fuel much of our trouble within the church. Do the phrases such as, well, this is how I see it, or that's not what I think, or if you could only see things my way, (laughs) does that sound familiar? Or, this is my favorite, it's my way or the highway. Amen. I felt the anointing of the Lord. on. No, I didn't. <laughs> we know good and well that when good people with deeply felt passions within the church bump heads, things can go south very, very quickly. The early church understood uh, and focusing on God's grace, they were able to to deal with those differences through this wonderful thing called gratitude. Gratitude. Why gratitude? Because it is a position before God that reminds all of us what we do not deserve. What we do not deserve. His grace, His love, His mercy. The early church understood that the remedy for keeping out a spirit of division. And if we're not careful, it can infiltrate the church. I've seen it time after time within the church. And it's horrible. It's ugly. And it's, and it's of the devil. And we, we have to be intentional about keeping uh, out the spirit of division. Does that mean that everybody just thinks alike and we all think the same way? Well, I like... I like how that wonderful general George Patton put put it, put put it. He said, if everyone is thinking alike, then someone isn't thinking. That doesn't mean that we don't have different views. It doesn't mean that we don't have opinions. I'm of the I'm, I'm of the persuasion that unless you really want to know what I think, don't ask me. But if you ask me, it's your fault for what I'm about to say. Um, But the reality is the early church found the remedy as they gathered. And what we at times see is simplistic, the taking of bread and juice, communion, being together, realizing that they are a family, and realizing there is so much more they have in common than what could possibly divide them. And that's the way it should be in today's church as well. There's so much uh, together that we have in common. There's so much to be grateful for that whatever might, whatever might seek to disrupt us or divide us can be left out and shut outside. 
It takes humility to do that. But the reward is so much greater. Paul and the early church fathers preached this, a gospel of grace. And they encouraged those who would read the words of Paul and those who would hear to embody a spirit of grace. I, uh, I put something out on social media. I think it was last night. It's, it's a t-shirt. And, and it's a quote attributed to Robin Williams, but I'm not real sure if he said it or not. Um, and the quote is this. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And on the front of the t-shirt, it says, be kind. Translated into the world of the church, each of us are dealing with things that, that we may not even be able to tell someone else. And so we are called to offer grace to one another. And as a whole, to be grateful. There is so much to be grateful the early church knew if they would slow down, choose gratitude, and thank God for one another, they would live like Christ. Ultimately, they knew this was the way to make a difference in the world. So let me conclude this morning. What if we expressed gratitude for one another? What if we said a word of thanks, wrote a word of thanks, prayed words of thanks? If we make a gratitude, the aspect of gratitude, a habit, and our hearts would soon soften to one another. And eventually, what we have in common will outweigh our differences. The psalmist understood the power of gratitude, which is why he told us to enter into the Lord's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with, with praise. Gratitude has a wonderful power. To unite us. The early church understood that as they came together for communion, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, the church today would be well to be reminded of that truth. There we have so much more in common as it relates to the sacrifice of Jesus. Because the reality is, and I, and I don't know this for sure, but there are folks that, you know, have, do you have folks that rub you the wrong way? Yeah, I, I do. You know, you know, you have folks that jump up and down on your last nerve? Um, don't look at them if they're here. Don't look at them. <laughs> um, I never led a marriage seminar, so I might be going into dangerous territories. But the reality is, there's so much more that unites us in spite of our differences, in spite of the things, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day, and I, and I, and I kind of like to think, and I, and I may be proven wrong, and it wouldn't be the first time, that God has a sense of humor. The people that get on your nerves, I'm convinced those are going to be our neighbors in heaven. And I'll end on this. Well, I hope if you're my neighbor that you like the music loud and, uh, and everything because I'm, I'm celebrating. I'm going to take a couple thousand years to celebrate the fact that I'm there. I'm going to be like the thief on the cross, you know. 
how did you get here? I don't know. The guy in the middle cross said that I could come. So here I am. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for these good folks. Lord, yes, there is so much that could, could divide us as your followers. We see it in our world at large today. But I pray, Father, that you would guard us as your children, that when we come into those times when differences of opinion or, or the way we see things uh, varies, that we would not slip into that, into that register that would eventually lead to division, but that we would take a, take a moment and take a step back and realize that, yes, we have those things that we disagree on, but what we have in common is so much more. And I pray, Father, that that would cause us to then express gratitude to you, for you're the one that made it all possible. Lord, I just pray that you would bless these good folks in this coming week and that, and that you would just continue to do the work that only you can do in, in their lives. We thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.